for the Daily Princetonian, I'm Vitus LaRue. And I'm Maya Mukherjee. You're listening to Daybreak. This week, the Daily Princetonian took a look at the role of Asian students on campus through examining both their history at Princeton and current presence. Today, Daybreak decided to take a deep dive into the East Asian Library and the Guest Collection, which contains hundreds of thousands of pieces of Chinese, Japanese, and Korean literature. We'll investigate its past, from the collection's acquisition to the establishment of the East Asian Studies program, look into its present place on the campus community, and consider its future expansion. Listen in. If you've ever wandered up to the third floor of Jones Hall from Frist Campus Center, you may have encountered the East Asian Library. With a few rows of desks and bookshelves, it doesn't match the size of Princeton's better-known libraries, like Firestone and Lewis. But at Princeton, there's nothing quite like it. An entire library dedicated to one region of the world. So why does Princeton have one? And how did a school in New Jersey acquire hundreds of thousands of artifacts from the opposite side of the world? My name is Martin Hydra. Uh, I'm currently the director of the East Asian Library. Dr. Martin Hydra has worked at Princeton for the past four decades and is the preeminent expert on the library and the guest collection. So we sat down with him to answer those questions. I was actually a graduate student here in Princeton and stayed on. So from, uh, I came here in 1983, I believe. 1988, I started working for the library as the Chinese studies librarian. And I'm not completely sure when, perhaps something like seven, six, seven, eight years ago, I became the director. The library's current collection is built around the initial acquisition of the guest collection in 1936. Okay, just to clarify, we've been calling this the guest collection, but it's spelled G-E-S-T. Yes, we know, confusing. So the collection isn't a guest holding at Princeton. It's actually named after the collector, a man named Guillaume Moore Guest. Guest was an American electronics engineer. He founded the Guest Engineering Company, which did business in America and Asia, so he frequently traveled between the regions. He was on the ship to China, and he met somebody else called Ivy Gillis. And that person uh, then asked, have you ever tried Chinese medicine for your eyes? But that is when he decided, hey, the West or America, he was an American, uh, that America should know a little bit more about especially Chinese technology. Guest suffered from glaucoma and was interested in East Asian literature primarily due to the potentially healing medical knowledge contained inside. Commander Irvin Van Gorder Gillis, or I.V. Gillis, was an officer in the Navy with a special interest in Japan and China. After their chance meeting, Guest commissioned Gillis to acquire medical books, starting the Guest Collection. He decided to put money aside to buy Chinese books, to uh, create a collection. Uh, the collection was actually put together, uh, you know, some things he bought himself, but basically by this Ivy Gillis, because Guess never knew Chinese, it was Ivy Gillis who knew Chinese. And uh, Gillis was well connected, Gillis was married to a Manchu princess, so was had access to high-class high uh, people who, who in that period in China, you know, they had lost, they were no longer the ruling class. They needed money. Of course, they couldn't work because that was beneath them. So they, things like selling off some of their books was one way of 
surviving. And so he was well connected to take advantage of that. And so for a very short time, basically in 10 years, the original collection was, uh, was collected. As it turns out, Princeton was not the first home of the collection. And it was not first in Princeton, it was first in McGill in, uh, in Canada. McGill University acquired the collection in 1926, but within a few short years, the Great Depression hit. By 1929, Guess lost most of his money. On top of that, McGill no longer had the means to sustain such a large collection. So, Guess began searching for other universities that could house the collection. But most in the U.S. and Canada were uninterested. Uh, what finally made the difference is that the Rockefellers uh, Institute was very interested in developing uh, medicine in China. And basically, um, they developed a scheme that the collection was bought partly by Rockefeller and partly by the Institute of Advanced Study. They were, the Institute was planning at that moment to expand into East Asia. Um, so they bought it and the collection plus the librarian, Nancy Lee Swan, one of the very first female uh, um, PhDs in, uh, in Chinese studies, but she came with the collection to Princeton, uh, to the Institute, and the whole idea was at that moment that, you know, the Institute used Princeton Library as their libraries, and the hope was that a department would develop around that. Though the Institute for Advanced Study had acquired the materials, it lacked the space or resources to properly curate the collection or even purchase new editions. This resulted in an agreement with Princeton University to house the collection. For many years, the collection was housed in the basement of a commercial building on Nassau Street, mostly inaccessible to students. Dr. Nancy Lee Swan, who managed the collection from its beginnings in McGill, described the basement's conditions unfavorably, mentioning sweltering temperatures and that the roof had sprung a leak in a letter to guests in 1937. Her dedication to the library, in spite of very little funding from Guest or the Institute for Advanced Studies, and a complete lack of pay for two years, was evident. She continued to pursue donations for the collection until Guest and Ivy Gillis both died in 1948, when she retired from her curation position. Her years of custodial work had left the collection perfectly preserved and ready for students when the East Asian Studies Department was founded at Princeton in the late 1950s. Today, the East Asian Library is on the third and fourth floors of Frist Campus Center's West Wing and Jones Hall, which is physically adjoined to Frist. Because Frist is better known as a center for campus life, it's easy to think that the East Asian Library was added to the building at a later date. But actually, it's the other way around. Why is the Frist Campus Center built around us? Because we were actually first. And not just us, the East Asian Department, as you know, is downstairs. When you see, you know, the food court and all that, that is all new. So we were always there. And yes, um, you know, we were, there were no other parts on campus they could move us to, uh, uh, because we are pretty large. Currently, the East Asian Library contains a comprehensive archive of works ranging from Japanese collections in pre-modern history, Chinese literature and philosophy and religion, as well as volumes of Korean monographs and journals. 
Each collection features an impressive number of archival content, with 425,000 volumes of Chinese books, 163,000 volumes of Japanese books, and 14,000 volumes of Korean books. When we added all their collections together, we found that they had over 750,000 volumes of literature in their collections. We are one of the major collections, uh, I would say, outside of East Asia with uh, especially Chinese. You know, uh, Japanese has come later, Korean even much later. But uh, we are one of the major collections. We are actually a kind of library who is known for two things. Uh, one is the, that original rather rare book collection. You know, we have uh, one of the major collections of printed books uh, before the 17th century. Uh, but the other part is we have also great uh, electronic database collection. Beyond the deep archives offered by the East Asian Library and Guest Collection, the library's space on the third floor of Frist serves as a hub for students to study or peruse the literature. We spoke with a student who likens the East Asian Library to a second home. My name is Stephanie Oh. I'm a sophomore. I'm majoring in computer science with a minor in Asian American studies. Last year, I took an East Asian history course, and also I was taking a Korean language track. So I spent a lot of time at Frist, especially near the East Asian library. So during a lot of my downtime, I would go there to study or just to like peruse the books. So yeah, I spent a lot of time around that area. The East Asian library, I've noticed, has a very quiet ambiance. There's a very calm vibe and no one talks, so I found it really nice to study in. And also, I feel like it's really exciting to explore because... First of all, it's really accessible because it's in Frist, but also if you walk in further, there's a huge part of the library that most people I feel like don't encounter. When I was exploring that area, I found a lot of like contemporary books written by Asian authors, books that I would read in my leisure time rather than like academic writing, which I thought was really exciting because I really like reading. As Stephanie mentioned, in recent years, the library has evolved past an archive of East Asian literature and into a space for students from all academic backgrounds. As its use has evolved, so has its methods of acquiring new content, including contemporary works. Even if it's not currently being studied, we are basically thinking, well, but in 20 years, somebody will want to have this material. We have room of thinking of the future, and of course, that's a little bit what we think might happen and what we think might be needed, but we do also collect for the future. We already uh, bought a collection of knitting, women's knitting books. Also traditionally there were books like that uh, in China. Um, so a collection like this, if we can get it, yes, we would do it. And that doesn't mean that right now there is somebody working on that, but we want to be the place where somebody would come. And these things happen constantly. So a collection founded a century ago by an engineer seeking to fix his vision will only continue to grow. Next time you're in Frist to pick up a package or a meal, be sure to pay the East Asian Library a visit. The trek up to the third floor could be worth it to dust off a book from historical archives, take in its serenely quiet environment, or read a modern novel from their growing collection. Regardless of what you do there, take time to explore one of Princeton's hidden gems of knowledge and history. That's all for Daybreak today. Today's episode was written by Maya Mukherjee, Caleb Park, Lena Kim, and me. Sound engineered by me and produced under the 147th Managing Board of the Prince. Daniel Jung contributed to reporting this episode. For The Daily Princetonian, I'm Vitus LaRue. 
And I'm Maya Mukherjee. Have a wonderful day.